Join with me in prayer. Gracious God, we give you thanks this day for your word to us from Scripture and the way that you speak to us in this time of worship. We ask your presence to be made known to us in this place. Amen. But whenever you aren't sure what God is like, think about what makes you feel safe, what makes you feel brave, and what makes you feel loved. That is what God is like. Those were the closing words from the book we just looked at, What is God Like?, which was written by Rachel Held Evans and Matthew Paul Turner. And those words have stuck with me ever since I first read the book a few weeks ago. And they stick with me now, even after I read it just with the kids there, because, friends, the books that are written for kids, have you noticed? They're not written only for kids. They're written for us. They're written for all of us. That's why I decided to share that book during worship today because it is a word for all of us, all of us searching to know what God is like. These words at the very end of the book, they're a reminder, but they're also an assurance, or hopefully for you, a reassurance of who and what God is, both in our lives, our lives individually, and in our church. Like most children's books, like I say, the message isn't just for kids. So this morning, we're kind of marking this point in the church life, calling it a homecoming, a a gathering, a formal gathering of our church again, as we recognize that this place, this physical place, this structure, but also this community, the people that you're surrounded with, matter to our lives and to our faith. Eighteen months ago, we carried our community. We kind of picked it up like, like uh, nomads gathering up their tents. We picked it up and we took it online. And, and the fact that it happened so smoothly, this, this didn't happen smoothly in many church communities. The fact that it happened so smoothly in part is a testament to the foundation of this community and the relationships, the good roots of this community. And over the course of time, over the course of these last 18 months, you actually were kind of on display to a little bit of the world, right? Your friends, if if they saw that you were worshiping, maybe they joined you and and even said hello to you kind of awkwardly in the comments, right? It's like, oh, hi, I see you're there. Um, But it helped us to open our doors in a new way, and we, we met new people. Some people you interacted with every week during worship, but you've never met them in person. Did you notice that? We had one of our Wednesday night worship services where a, a few good friends of the church who've been worshiping with us came and, and met many of you, and it was, it was like meeting a celebrity almost because you had been worshiping with them and interacting, and then here they were. And the interesting thing is that in talking with folks who came to worship in our online services, many of them shared the same observations that you all have have known about in this community and that I experienced from the very beginning of when I came here. The, The love, the care, the welcome. 
And I'll tell you that this online uh, conversion, in a sense, that we had to make has, has this lasting gift that I hope that you will take advantage of when you're not at church, when you can't make it on a Sunday, you're traveling, or if you live in other parts of the country during times of the year, or perhaps during the, uh, the winter when it's just a bit too unsafe out to drive for you and you should stay home. I hope you'll, you'll worship with us in this way. It's, it's a gift that we can gather but why is it important? Why does it matter? Why, why does it matter that we gather, and why are we celebrating on a day like this? Why are we celebrating with tacos and ice cream and listening to a band? Why? Why does it matter? And, and I'll, I'll add to that, what are we celebrating? What are we celebrating not just when we gather, but when we gather every week in this space or, or online? What are we celebrating? Why do we have a pastor, not just an executive director or a cruise director or an activities manager? Why, why a pastor? Why do we have teachers and leaders in the church? Why are we even called a church? Why does it, why does it matter? We could certainly do good and be good and love one another without being a church. And I wonder if you've ever thought about that before, like why does a church exist? Or, you know, why does this church exist? Why does any church exist? And I, and I know the answers to this question that are swimming around in some people's minds. For some, it's just, well, churches have always been there. Well, they haven't really. I mean, even this one, right? At some point, the group of folks who came together said, well, we need a church in the new neighborhood, the growing neighborhood. And I hear the answers to this in conversations that I have with, with some of you, and I find that they're both simple and actually quite complex. Some people answer very personally, very individually, telling how the people of this church have been a family to them for a very long time, many from when they were born, walking alongside them in very difficult times of their lives. If, I know for many of you that's the case, a place where you came when you, when you needed to be comforted, when you needed someone to be alongside you, supporting you. Others share that they come to church because when they moved to a new area, they wanted a place where they could be rooted and grow in their faith. Others wanted to know people, to get to know people, to have a place where they could interact and have a, um, a social life when they moved somewhere, somewhere new. Some were coming from somewhere, somewhere else that maybe wasn't the right fit for them. And so no matter when you look at each of these different, different reasons, we become part of a church in part because living alone, living life's journey alone without others alongside us, it's significantly harder, it's significantly harder than with others, others who are simply trying to do the same things we're doing, whether it's raising our children, adjusting to the empty nest or to retirement, navigating, uh, navigating a new job or navigating middle school, whatever it is, we have other people to journey with. And sometimes it can be easy to focus ourselves on the, on the good of that journey. What I, what I mean by this is to say that yes, good things come from us journeying together from our relationships, from our shared experiences. And our children learn values we want them to learn. 
They learn about serving others who are less fortunate, like collecting books for Bernie's book bank or doing other projects. They, they learn about serving others who are less fortunate. They learn about caring for the environment, standing up to injustices. And we teach these things, and we teach them, we teach them well. And I had someone tell me once, we were talking about, why are you a part of the church? I asked the question directly, and they said, because they wanted their children to grow up to be good people. And this is a good thing. It's an honorable thing. It's a wonderful goal for all parents to have, especially in a world that seems to be so much of the opposite. Seems to be so much of the opposite. And, and so we look at it and we say, yes, we want our children to be good people. And of course, as we look at various Sunday school lessons and options, we think about how these programs that we do, whether it's for children or adults, all of these programs... They, they help us point to Christ's life and modeling ourselves on how Jesus lived in the world. And, and we know that we are called to do exactly this. This is important. It's what we do well. We care for one another. We love one another. And we care for those who can't care for themselves. Loving our neighbor is significant. It's a significant part of who Christ was and, and a significant part of what we're called to do and be. And in our scripture text this morning... And throughout this letter, this short letter, as as Loretta said, James repeatedly instructs his audience to do just this, live out Christ's commandment to love others. And and in fact, we're going to see even more of this. So we're going to be looking at this letter again next week, and we're going to see even more in our reading next week. But at the very end of this reading, and you've got it in front of you, but at the very end of this reading, James makes this little teaser comment about what's going to come in our following readings. He says that religion, true religion, religion that isn't distracted by all of the other things of the world, true religion, he says, is caring for widows and orphans. Now, What's important there is he's not, saying that, he's not saying that all other good acts are less honorable, but he's writing in a way, a, a rhetorical way, to essentially say that actions matter more than words. Actions matter more than words. Care for those who can't care for themselves. And so, you see, when we as a church are quite focused on intently helping others, on caring for one another, on raising our children to be good people. When we do all of these things, we are absolutely living out Christ's commandments and honoring God with our actions. Now, the letter of James is sometimes criticized. Martin Luther really didn't like it. That was 500 and something years ago. Really didn't like it. And the letter is it's sometimes criticized for being too focused on the actions and I think I get that because, uh, because sometimes when we look at, at this text, it looks a lot like, well, do all these things so that you can get something, right? That's not what James says at all, at all. But I think as a church, it's easy for us to relate to what he's saying. It's easy for us to relate to these actions and the actions, the actions of serving and caring and loving are a motivation to bring us right here. And the reality is that if we're not doing those things, if if we're not living out love in the world, if we're not practicing love here in this place also, if we're not practicing love here, it's, it's hard for us to practice love 
everywhere else when the distractions of the world become all around us, when we're stuck in traffic, when we're on the golf course or in the boardroom or the classroom or out on the play field, when we're at the end of our rope with our parents or our spouse or our children or our siblings. You see, we practice here, like I often say, and I said this morning during the passing of the peace, we practice here where it's safe, where it should be safe, within these walls, in the shadow of these windows, in the places and spaces where we know we're within a sanctuary. And so, as a church, so much of what we do is what James says is to protect us from being stained by the world. That language is is dramatic, right? Being stained by the world. We love so that the distractions of the world don't taint us and turn us into something else. And we're a church. And the common thread through this journey is also our faith. And figuring out how this community is different from other communities. Figuring out how a church is different because of our foundation that we place on Jesus Christ. That's why the cross is at the center of who we are. Our faith, our quest for God, the God who became human in the form of Christ. It sets us apart from simply being a gathering of people trying to do good in the world. We're a church, a Christian church. At the outset of our reading, James makes an observation. It's a declaration that often gets lost in this reading because we jump to that end, the very end, where where James is beginning this transition to talk about putting faith into action. But at the outset, there's this framing. There's this framing of the entire letter, and he says, every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we would become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, the first part of that, friends, is so critical. It's critical to our understanding of not just God, but also of the church. Every generous act of giving with every perfect gift, James writes, is from above. It's a starting point. Everything good, everything good is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Every generous act, every canned good for the food pantry, every casserole for someone who is mourning, every hug, every listening ear, every book we donate, every backpack, every hammer we swing, every perfect gift. Every perfect gift, all good things, all of this comes from God, the Father of lights. And if all of this, all of this stuff that makes up the fabric of our understanding of goodness in the world, if all of this that makes up our understanding of church, our understanding of the, the family of God, the place and the people whom you love, the place and the people in whom you've chosen to invest your time and your energy, if all of this is from God, it explains why we worship. We worship God to give thanks for the good things in our lives. We give thanks for all of this And we come also 
We come before God also seeking more of God, more of God in our lives. We seek more from the Father of lights, the giver of good things, because that's what we crave, that's what we need, that's what we seek. And yes, we often find it in the form of other people, in the people we know and love, but coupled with our being loved by the world and in the world, is also our pursuit of God. Finding our way in the world, a world that can be filled with pain and hardship, but a world that can also be filled with God's goodness and God's generous acts of giving. Our pursuit of the Father of lights, the one who brings all good things into the world. And the second part of that, those introductory words, those introductory verses I read, it's equally huge. James writes that in fulfillment of God's own purpose, God gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would become a kind of first fruits of God's creatures. How amazing is it that finding our way, that, that finding our way in the world means finding out what it means to become the first fruits of God's creation. That our lives in community, our individual lives, your life, but also our collective life as a church would reflect God, not just ourselves and not just our desire to be good people, but that it would reflect God, the Father of lights, the one, the one that James is describing here as the giver of all good things, that we would reflect God to a world that is in need of such blessing that is in need of knowledge of God, hungering not just for food and water, but hungering for goodness and hungering for the one who brings it. 17th century French mathematician Blaise Pascal writes about this human hunger for God and the attempt to fill that hunger. This is what he writes. What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but, there, but that there was once in humankind a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This they try to fill in vain with everything around them, seeking in things that are not there the help they cannot find in those that are, though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be only filled with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. We spend so much of our time trying to fill our lives, searching for things to fill and satisfy our hungers. We spend so much time trying to check the boxes of success, seeking some satisfaction. But Pascal essentially says what James tells us and what Jesus teaches us, that this infinite abyss, the hole, the hunger, the thirst, the needs, all of it, all of that for which we long, as much as we try to fill it with other things, the things of the world, we'll realize more and more that all of it can only be satisfied by the one from whom all good things come. And so this is our journey it's our journey as a church. It's our journey individually. This is our way, our path. We, we seek to step into the space of trying to understand God together. A church united, 
asking that question like that book this morning, what is God like? And knowing, friends, that we have our home in God, the Father of lights. Evans and Turner remind the children and us, they say, keep searching, keep wondering, keep learning about God. What greater invitation is there for us to our journey and our lives together? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.